Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Well, good morning, Grace. God is moving. He's always at work. We've sung it, we've declared it, that even when we don't see it, He's working. Even when we don't feel it, He's working. He never stops working. In fact, it is God himself who has given us the breath that we breathe at this moment. He's given us the gift of life. And I want to, I just felt prompted to encourage you for your faith. Saying, well, Mark, what do you know about my faith? I know that you believed enough to show up this morning. I know that you had a faith that drew you to this place or drew you to tune in online, that there was something in your heart that is reaching toward God. And I want to encourage you in your faith. You know, sometimes we can look at what we don't have and miss seeing what we do have. And I, so many times, I, I just, you know, with... Uh, the, the declaration of the Father to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That sometimes we just need to, to declare what we have, God, even if it's small. Jesus said it's all we need. Faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. Even if it's small, we need to celebrate and declare what we have and position ourselves to receive more of God and give more of ourselves to God. So God is working and I'm so thankful uh, to be part of this, uh, this community and to be allowing God to work in me as he is working in us, that we together are submitting to him and what he wants to do. And we have an amazing opportunity coming up here that we want to invite many of you to come and be part of. This is the eighth annual, this is hard to believe, um, it's the eighth annual Jesus Loves York Adopt-A-Block Party, and it's coming up on Saturday, October 2nd from noon until two. And how many people have been part of any of the Adopt-A-Block parties? Okay, then I don't need to describe this to you, but uh, for those that haven't, we just wanna invite you to the city of York. Uh, It's in the Salem Square community in that area, so it's about 600 block of of West Princess Street. And we have a constant presence. When I say constant presence, it literally is a constant presence. There's a ministry house that we own. uh, That ministry is constantly going out to that community. And it's not just every week, it's, it's about daily. So the lives are being touched there. And this is an annual event that uh, calls that entire community together. And in order to serve that community well, um, we have an invitation for many volunteers to come up. It's like, well, Mark, I don't know what to do. I've never even been there before. Uh, show up and we'll show you. Uh, there are many things that, that you can do. So uh, literally it could be as simple as just being a greeter or handing out prizes because there are gonna be so many things. Um, there's uh, free produce. There's gonna be the community closet's gonna take up a bunch of, bunch of items that will be given away. Uh, there, it's just absolutely incredible what all is available there. And literally, if, if you can be friendly, we do require that. <laughs> if you can be friendly and just be available 
Uh, there's gonna be an opportunity for you to serve and be part of that. So we wanna invite you after the service to, uh, to meet them out, that, out there. We have some uh, people that will be wel- welcoming you and taking your name and information down to give you more information. But again, that's October 2nd uh, from noon to two. We wanna invite you to be part of that and what God is doing there. Well, as we continue in this amazing series through John, we're going to be looking today at the passage that what jumped out to me is a passage that shows Jesus as our provision. Jesus as our provision. And as I was looking through this passage, there's something that just um, kept resonating in me is that in this passage, we're going to see how Jesus from earth is drawing us to heaven and how he's, he's bringing heaven to earth. And this is what, what I believe worship is in our lives, the connection, a live connection of us here on earth with God who is in heaven, and God who is in heaven connecting with us on earth. And, and that worship can take many, many different forms, but, but when we have that free flow, there's, there's just this incredible phenomenon that happens. And I was thinking about you know, some times of, of worship in my life that, where I just felt like heaven and earth just made this incredible connection. And there's one that, that goes back, I don't know how many years ago, it, was a, it might have been 30 years ago, and I was helping with worship at a, uh, and, and music at a, a kid's camp. And I was playing keyboard, my sister was leading uh, singing, and at the end of the service, we often have an opportunity for kids to come forward and pray. And what happened was, that's, I'll probably get broken up just describing it. What happened was, these kids started touching heaven in a way that just literally heaven came down. And you know, uh, there was an extended time of prayer, but then some of these kids just would not leave because they were just pressing in to the presence of God. I mean, kids sitting, I mean, these are, these are elementary age, and they were just pressing in with God and sitting in groups and praying together and weeping, and I'm playing keyboard, and my sister's over leaning, and we almost couldn't continue because literally the presence of God was so thick. And you know, maybe you've experienced moments like that, whether uh, it might be in times, it may have been this morning that you just felt like, like earth is touching heaven, heaven's touching earth, and there's this, this open flow and this open connection. And it, it often can happen with music, and, and it can happen different ways as well. I mean, I, I remember, and I often flash back in my mind to when I was a freshman at Penn State York, and, and I just had a hunger for the word of God that was just so strong. And I remember I'd been given this little compact Bible for a um, graduation gift. And I remember sitting on a hillside on that campus and just diving into the word of God like it was just this was connection with God that was so strong. It was earth touching heaven, heaven touching earth. And then there's a very, very personal moment that I experienced with this. And it was when uh, my dad was, was dying with cancer. And I can, he was, at that time, he was pretty much bedridden. He was in the room that I had, that had been my bedroom uh, growing up. And probably 11 o'clock, maybe midnight, almost midnight one evening. And um, uh, my dad was in there and we heard him speaking and we thought that he needed something. So it was my mom and my sister and I went to the door to see what we could do to help meet his need. And he had no need. Um, we listened. And he was praising the Lord and praying in a way that literally, and we felt like heaven was touching earth and earth was touching heaven. He was in pain, he was suffering, he was, his body was, was decaying and he was just worshiping God in this way that we never went in the room. We literally, I can still remember, we were in the hallway outside that room. Just, it almost felt like we had to be careful not to intrude on this holy moment. 
But God gave us this opportunity to participate with him as he was worshiping God. And God became greater than his pain. Like his, what he was dealing with just almost disappeared as he pressed in with God. And we had that opportunity to witness it and to be a part of it. So my hope, my prayer, is that we would move together, individually and together, as a body of believers, to reach out and touch heaven and allow heaven to touch earth. It's God's desire. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to to lead us deeper and deeper into this, not just an experience, but lifestyle. Where we can certainly, there's gonna be moments that we can point to in our lives, but yet this becomes more and more just how we live. Where it can be a conversation out in the lobby after service today, and in that conversation we sense it. Heaven's touching earth and earth is touching heaven. That within our homes, in quiet times, so appreciated, Leah leading us in just that time to sit and soak with God. But that this would become more and more our lives. And God is leading us in that direction. He is desiring that we would experience him in this way more and more. So uh, it's already been prayed, but I just wanna uh, set and seal it again with a prayer. God, thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you for every person that's in this room and every person that is joining us online. And God, we submit ourselves to you. God, we say just come and do what you desire. Uh, God, we right now just make ourselves available and say have your way, that you would be glorified, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're in this series of chapters in John, chapters 13 through 17, which is the final discourse. As Jesus is literally hours away from his betrayal, his arrest, uh, his trial, and his crucifixion. So we're in these final moments, and, and I want you to look at what has been, that John has committed in his gospel, five chapters of this final discourse, and this, these are his intimate moments with the disciples and with the Father. And we're getting to walk through this, and we've already gone through chapter 13. Ben's done an incredible job, and, and last week as he spoke, he showed that as Jesus was reclining with the disciples at the table, and I wanna just do a shout out for, to Pastor Ben. When he reclined here, I mean, I was like, I love you, man. <laughs> it was, because it helped bring us into an understanding of, of literally Jesus was reclining with his disciples at that table, and in that, in that time, he was saying, I know you. I know you even better than you know yourself, and I love you. And you know, we all need to hear that over and over again. You know, there is no hiding from God. Literally, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And it's important that we accept and that we understand that in greater and greater ways. And it is so important that we understand that God loves us completely. That he knows us and he loves us. And Ben gave this quote similar to this, it's that we are more sinful than we think and more loved than we know. And God's love is that infinite love and he is desiring for us to receive that love and as we receive that love, then he says, go love like I do. Go love like I do. And the reality is is that none of us can do that apart from the, the presence of the person of Jesus in us. That we can't love like Jesus without Jesus. But as we receive his love, then we can show his love. 
in greater and deep, deeper ways. And that's what he's constantly calling us to, to this process. process. So what we're gonna do is continue uh, Jesus' discussion with his disciples. So again, remember this timing that he is preparing them for something he's told them about, but they're not really gonna get it until it's actually happening. But these are, it's literally in these hours just before his betrayal, his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. We're gonna be reading from John chapter 14, verses one through 14. Uh, you feel free to follow along uh, on the screens or in, in the Word or on your electronic device as I'm gonna read this passage uh, for us together. So as Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you, where you are going. How can we, we, or we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe, in, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples, and the words of Jesus to us. And in this passage, we're gonna be looking at how Jesus is our provision. And there are three things that we're gonna be looking at how Jesus provides. Jesus provides a home for eternity. Jesus provides himself as the way. And Jesus provides his power for this hour. Now, if you're a note taker and you don't get them all right away, don't worry, they're coming up again. You have plenty of time to write them down, but we're gonna walk through this passage. We wanna see a progression. Is that Jesus in this moment is pointing toward eternity. And then he shows the way to that eternity. And then he brings it right here to where the disciples are and right here to where we are. So we're gonna first look at the first four, four verses of John chapter 14. And this is where we see that God provides a home for eternity. Now these first couple, couple words, I saw them and I saw what Jesus was saying but he really, 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 really impacted me with it yesterday. So I wanna unpack that a little bit. When Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. 
Do you think he said it because they were troubled? When Jesus says, or God says, fear not, isn't he saying it because we're dealing with fear? And if you look at what just had happened, the conversation had happened around that table. And literally right before this passage, you know, Jesus is having a conversation with Peter and explaining to him, he says this truly, truly statement, which was so sad to hear. Truly, truly, you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster crows. I mean, these are like, like huge things that Jesus is sharing that they have to work through. They're heavy things, they're troubling things because it's even going against what they're feeling about themselves and what they think they would do. So Jesus says these words, let not your heart be troubled. And as he said those words to the disciples, I believe he's saying them to us this morning. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, no pun really intended, but this passage, that, this phrase was a little troubling to me. <laughs> okay, the pun was intended. He says it again later in the chapter in verse 27, and with that he talks about peace. But here's the thing that was troubling to me when I realized yesterday that I was troubled. Okay, now, that may sound a little bit odd, but um, the way I walk through life and the way that people often experience me is the way I truly feel, is that I'm a pretty steady guy, pretty even keel. There's, there's pros and cons to that. <laughs> um, but, but I generally am not real troubled, I'll put it that way. Part of it is I think I've been through a lot of trouble and God's helped strengthen me through those troubles. Still have troubles. It's not an issue of the external, it's what we do with the external, where our hearts get troubled. But I got to, I was troubled yesterday and, and then I just realized like I had been praying, God, prepare the message and prepare the messenger and that's always the prayer. God, I, I, want, the, I, I want to see in your word the message that you want me to bring to these people. But God, I've gotta be prepared. As the messenger, I need to be prepared. And part of my preparation was troubled, being troubled. And I got to flash back in, in, in my life and I was a really troubled kid. I mean, when, when I was young, elementary school, I mean, I was troubled, like overwhelmed with the things you know, of elementary school. Isn't that crazy? I mean, like when you look back, um, but I was a straight A student that thought I was gonna fail all the time. I was one that was, Again, just things of life were overwhelming and I just lived in this troubled state. And it's this bad that like, it's quite a while ago, but I, I was at a funeral and I bumped into my fifth grade teacher. And we're walking literally in the cemetery toward the, the grave of this person that we, we mutually knew. And she said, I've used you as an example over the years. It's like, oh, great. I think she used me by name. It wasn't even just like <laughs> I had this student. But you know, like how troubled I was, even though I was fully capable and doing a great job, I was always troubled. And she had um, taken that liberty to use me as an example. And that's okay, I love her. I mean, she's a wonderful person. Um, but like that was my life, I was troubled. And I don't know what really brought transition. I know that like I had had incredible experiences with God in early teens and, and so I don't know when the transition happened, but I remember like when I was 14 and it was an extremely troubling situation that God just gave me a peace through it and, and helped me to even impact others as 14 and it was, it was a tragic situation. I was in the presence of a 16 year old that died and I was right there to try to help and, and, and I wasn't troubled, like God gave me this peace. But yesterday I was troubled 
And what was odd is that I didn't, I didn't know why, I just had this feeling and it wasn't anything huge of life. It wasn't even that I could look and see that there was this buildup of, of things that led to, but, but my soul became troubled. And the reality is that we are all prone to being troubled. Some of us, it may be a, a more common thing in our lives, but regardless of who we are and what life is looking like, we have that propensity to being troubled. And Jesus this morning is speaking to us and saying, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then what does he say? He looks to what he is going to do. He points his disciples to something beyond that moment, something that is eternal. And he says this, he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. So Jesus is saying, in your troubled state right now, I want you to look ahead. I want you to know what I'm doing for you. Now I wanna tell you that this, um, and I, I did a little bit of digging on this because I've, I've been curious for a while and I kind of looked at it a little bit, but I did a little bit di deeper digging today or, or this week for, in preparation for today. So the assurance that he gives is that in my father's house are many rooms. Now I grew up with King James, okay? And King James says, in my father's house are many mansions. So I just wanna let you know, modern translations have downgraded us from mansions to rooms. And it's bothered me, it really has. I mean like, okay, so what am I expecting? A mansion over the hilltop or a room, okay? Um, and, and it does matter, it really does. Uh, because what are we looking forward to? So the little bit of digging I, I, I saw is that, that, that the Greek word that is translated in ESV rooms and other translations, some, other, some translations again do have mansions, some say dwelling places. Um, there are some different uh, words that are used, but the same Greek word that's translated in this verse as rooms is translated later in the chapter as home. And basically he's saying there's an abiding place. There's this place that I'm preparing for you. And you know, if this helps you at all, maybe I think it does help me, is that whatever I would think in terms of mansion here doesn't compare at all to a room there, <laughs> okay? I mean, we're talking different dimensions. We're talking beyond what our mind can comprehend. But Jesus is saying, I'm preparing a place, a dwelling place for you. Now, it's been almost exactly a year ago um, that in this worship center that we uh, presented a, a movie called Before the Wrath. It was September of last year. Again, it was called Before the Wrath. And it's, it's really a documentary. And what it does, it, exp it explains, uh, and it's still available, by the way. There's different streaming uh, places that, that you can see it today. We just watched it um, this week on Pure Flix. Okay, if I <laughs> didn't know if I could advertise. But it's on Pure Flix for free, but there's different places that you can, can get it. Uh, but anyhow, it's called Before the Wrath. I would encourage you, uh, if you haven't seen it to watch it, or if you've seen it, to maybe watch it again. Because what it does, it, it takes the, um, some recent findings, archeological findings, and applies it to many verses, but it does specifically apply to this verse. And what it's talking about is the Galilean wedding. So you think about it, again, Jesus was from Galilee, the northern province of, of, of Israel. Judea was in the south, Galilee was in the north, and all of Jesus' disciples were Galilean. 
So when he used certain phrases and things, he would, they would recognize what he was talking about much quicker than what we would. So in this, and I'm gonna try and do a real quick synopsis and maybe it'll just, again, whet your appetite for this. Uh, but in this, um, in this documentary, it's explaining what the Galilean wedding was like and how it connected to what Jesus is saying right here. And the, the disciples that were reclining with Jesus would have heard and understood and seen the parallels. So I'm gonna just walk, walk you through it very quickly. Jesus is the groom, the church of Jesus Christ, those who are believers in Christ is the bride. And that's, that's seen throughout the New Testament. We see that, that often. But what happened in the Galilean wedding is that uh, the groom had eyes for the certain, certain woman and he would call together the town because to the, to the uh, city gate, that's where business was taken care of. And he would invite her, the parents would come, the, the town would gather, and it was in that setting that the groom would propose. Now the proposal was made by presenting a covenant and that covenant was explaining what that marriage relationship, the sealing of what that marriage would be. There would be a gift, think about this, a gift that the father would give, okay, on behalf of the groom to the father of the bride that was like the dowry. But this covenant was read so that all would hear and understand with the, the, the man and the woman standing there then the, the man would offer to the one that he desired to be a bride a cup. And that cup, that cup of wine, would be um, the, the deciding moment, like literally. Everything could be done at that point. He could hand her the cup and she would say, no thank you. And there would be no, no marriage. But if she received that cup, as she drank that cup and then he drank that cup, it sealed the covenant. And then he would make the statement, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day I drink it anew with you in my father's house. Does that sound familiar? So when Jesus was saying that to the disciples, they had to be thinking, this is a wedding. He's talking about a wedding. And then what would happen that once that covenant was established, and it was established in that moment, although they were not married in that moment, they would actually go their separate ways and there would be preparation made but yet that covenant was bound. And this is why, you know, when we look at uh, Mary and Joseph, like in order to break that covenant, there would have to be a divorce. Even though they hadn't been married yet, they had committed to one another. But what would happen is that the groom would go away and he would start building. He would start building onto his father's house and preparing a place for his bride. Are you seeing it? He's preparing a place for his bride. The bride would go and she would be preparing as well. She would be getting her dress. She would be um, doing the things that she needed to do in order for her, herself to be prepared. The groom was working also on preparing for a feast. But when the building was done, when the room had been prepared, he would tell dad, dad, everything's ready. And then there was waiting. Because only the father of the groom knew when the wedding was gonna take place. Everybody needed to be ready. And when the father decided, now's the time, it was often at night, he would wake up his son and say, son, go get your bride. Can you hear that prophetically? When the father says to son, son, go get your bride. The son would go through the streets, blowing the shafar, and calling those that were ready to come to the wedding feast. And when he would come to his, the place where his bride was, she would come out, and for that first time, they would see face to face just before their wedding was sealed. And the bride would be placed on a litter and they would lift her up 
off the ground and carry her to the wedding feast. And only those were ready, the bride needed to be ready, those that were tending the bride needed to be ready. Only those that were ready would be, the, would be going to that feast. You had to be prepared. And when they arrived at that feast, the door, the door would be closed and those that were not ready could not enter. Do you see how strong the parallels are? First Thessalonians chapter four says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. See, there's been, there's been a table set. I mean, the feast is being prepared. Our places are being prepared for us. The dwelling place with God is, get, is, is getting ready. And there is a moment when the Father is gonna say, son, go get her. And Jesus will come and receive his church to himself. We are called to be ready. For in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, could it be today? Could it be today? There's a pastor one time that's speaking to the congregation about Jesus coming back for his church. And he said, how many people here want to go to heaven? Everybody in the church raised their hand except one man. He was concerned and he was confused. And he said to the man, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, yeah, but I thought you meant right now. Truthfully, would we possibly be responding the same way? God is desiring us for, to long for him. God is desiring for us to have such a love relationship that, we're, that we would say like, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That we would be so in love with him. First John, Scripture even says that, that as we have this hope, we purify ourselves. As we set our, our eyes on meeting the groom and being with him forever, we purify ourselves. We live in a different way. And I've shared this before. I mean, I'm convicted in this because I love God, I do. And, and I long to be with him in eternity. And one of the things that that I often feel is like, okay, I'm not real anxious to go there yet because of this. This is the one chance I have to make a difference in the kingdom here on this earth. But there's something else that's missing. I honestly, I, I need to love him more. And I don't say that as a should. It's like he deserves a deeper love from me where I truly long for him. And I, I've been thinking about this. Like, what is it that, you know, why don't I long for his return more? Why don't I long to, to see the groom and to be received to him? And here's my conclusion, is that I'm getting too distracted with this stuff. Living on this plane. I can get distracted by the challenges that when I look at the hardships of life, I can, I can say, okay, God, where are you in this? 
and my love for him can become more faint. I can be distracted by the good times because you know what, when it's good, why leave, right? When things are going well. And I can lose that desire for the place that he has prepared for me. And the reality is I can get distracted when it's just so-so. It's not bad, it's not good, but it's okay. But Jesus is saying this, it's like, Mark, I, I don't want your heart to be troubled. I want you to know that I've prepared a place for you. That, that what I have for you goes so far beyond what you can comprehend. I love you so much. And I've prepared this for all of eternity. Whatever you experience here, no matter if it's short time or long time, it's, it's the dot. It's the dot of time compared to an eternity. And, and Mark, I want you to get your eyes set on what I prepare for you. I want you to, to focus on me. I want you to allow my love to flow in you so much. So as Ben talked last week, you know, the love of God is, is, is for us completely, completely with a full knowledge of who we are. Jesus is saying, now, I've, I'm loving you this way. I'm calling you, love me, love me. Allow me to be your greatest desire in life. Allow me to overwhelm you. God, I thank you that you do love us, Lord, with a love that goes beyond our comprehension. And Lord, my, my caution here that I sense is that loving you would seem like a should. And God, you're not calling us to a should. You're calling us to yourself. You're calling us to just be with you, to see what you have prepared, to know that you have prepared this place for us in your presence. Oh God, this morning, may we each fall more deeply in love with you. And God, I pray that that love would be stirred more and more. God, that there would be no other love in life that would be even close to our love for you because you deserve it. And Lord, this is what we were created for, to know you, to be with you, for earth in us to touch heaven and heaven to touch earth. So God, just help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus provides a home for eternity and he provides himself as the way. Now this one verse in here, verse six, I believe is a verse that we all need to get so embedded in our hearts and in our minds that, that it's just, it just naturally flows from us because this declaration that Jesus makes is so powerful. Now, as Jesus has just finished this statement, you know where I'm going, Thomas said in verse five, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, Thomas is unfortunately labeled doubting Thomas, but I wanna celebrate Thomas because he brought his question to Jesus. And you know, we need to bring our questions to Jesus because Thomas bringing this question to Jesus set up one of the greatest statements that Jesus has ever made in, in his ministry. I believe that. Now, he's made, every statement Jesus makes is great, but listen to the foundation of this. Jesus answered him and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus' response to Thomas's question, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way, is foundation, 
foundational for the Christian faith. Thomas is wondering, okay, tell me destination and, I'll, and we can then know the direction. And, G, and Jesus is saying, it's not about a path, it's about a person, it's me. And I want to um, focus a little bit here on, again, it's these four statements. I am, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And I want us to look at the word the. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's a huge difference between a and the, okay? It's kind of like, hand me a remote. It's not working. It's because it's not the remote, right? I need the right one, okay? Um, Think about this. Do you want a cup of coffee or the cup of coffee? You want a candy bar or the candy bar? What is the candy bar for you, okay? But I mean, there's, there's such a difference. How about a good book versus the good book? Huge difference. Men, you want a woman or the woman? Women, a man or the man? How about a God or the one true God? Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, the life. That's exclusive. That's definitive. That's ultimate. And we need to hear what Jesus is saying. So he had already said in in John chapter 12 that he, or in John chapter 11, that he is the resurrection and the life. So life has already been given, but Jesus states it again. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But when you look at the Greek, the dominance in this list, he's all three of these things. The dominance is on the way. And then truth and life flow right in with that. So when he says he is the way, again, it's not, he's not saying I am the path to follow. I am the person. I am the way. So it's like if you were given directions, and some of us trust Google and different apps to get to a certain place. You can put in your destination, and then hopefully it leads you there. Well, it's good to do some other research, I'm just telling you, okay, because it doesn't always do well. And we can even following step-by-step directions not get to where we're going, especially not a good way. And we may all have different examples of this. But like, even if I would say, okay, here are the directions. The destination is, is a place in York. And I would give you directions, say, okay, go to this signal light, make a left, and then go about two and a half miles and make a right here, and then go to the house that used to be painted purple. And you know, I mean, so we could give these step-by-step directions, and there's a good chance you're not gonna make it, okay? But let me ask you this, like, what if the roads were alive? <laughs> and the roads were constantly changing. How in the world would you get directions? You need a person with you that knows the way. Because life is roads that are changing. Life is, is constantly dynamic. It's constantly moving. And Jesus is saying, I'm not gonna give you directions. I'm going to be the direction. I'm gonna be with you. I am the way. The way of Jesus, as the disciples were soon gonna find out, I mean, if you were trying to follow directions, the disciples, although they had been warned, they had been told, it had been explained to them, they had no idea what was about to hit them. Because the way Jesus was going for trial, he was going for a beating, he was going to the cross and he was going to the grave.
but the way also rose from the dead. And it has to be in the person of Christ. Jesus is the way, there is no other way. And when we embrace him, we have the direction that we need. When we receive him as the way, he will lead us into all truth. Now, this could take a lot of unpacking. I'm gonna try and hit this very quickly. When Jesus says he is the truth, there is absolute truth, that absolute truth is him. And we live in a world who deny, that denies absolute truth even though that makes absolutely no logical sense. Okay, I'm, I'm, you know, logic does not reign in our, in our society. Does anybody need convincing of that? Okay, but concerning truth, we have to embrace the, the reality that there is absolute truth. That's truth that is, is fact for everyone, everywhere, all times. That there are absolute truths. In fact, when you think of relativism, relativism says, says this, um, truth is all relative. So you have your truth, you have your truth, I have my truth. Um, all truth is relative. Okay, do you realize that in that statement, they're making an absolute truth statement? Seriously, I mean, this is foundational. Like, you know, a relative, person that believes in relativism, that again, truth is, is, is just relative to whatever. Even that belief is founded on, on a totally wrong logical statement. That can't be true. And you start playing that out, and relativism does not work when it comes to truth. At some place, people want to believe that certain things are solid or true for all. So we live in a culture where this has creeped in and creeped through and can even impact our lives where we will, we will set, you know, well, under these conditions this or under this condition. But Jesus is the truth. And when we listen to what he says and what, how he lives and what he does, he is the truth. And we can stand on the truth. The truth will set us free. You know, we can be so concerned that truth is gonna close in and, and restrict us, but Jesus says, no, there's freedom in me. Come to me, who I am the truth, and you are gonna find a free life like you cannot believe. So then he goes on right away and he says, oh, and I am the life, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, the reality is that we're all physically alive. We've all been given the gift of physical life, but yet we can be alive and not living. In fact, we really don't find life, true life, until we come to Jesus, until we're born again because we're born into this fallen world with a sinful nature and we're physically alive. But until we come to Jesus, who is the life, we haven't found life. And Jesus is saying, you know, it's, it, it is, it's about being born again, it's about finding me. And it's not just a moment. This is an ongoing thing. Believing is an ongoing continual word where I've experienced and I've accepted Jesus as the way and I am walking with him in his way. My way of life is with him. Where I've accepted and received that he is the truth and I am constantly seeking the truth of God in the person of Christ. And I have experienced life and there is so much more life for me to discover as I walk with him. In fact, early Christians said they were of the way. People of the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. 
Is that an exclusive statement? Absolutely, and it is the truth. That there is only one way to God. So Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, eternity, and I am the way to get there. I am the way, walk with me, follow me, be with me. Then what happens in this next passage, we're, just, we're not gonna go through this in detail, but verses eight through 11, Jesus just needs to reassure them again. It's like, show us the Father and it will be enough for us, is what Philip said. And he said, I and the Father in one. You know, he said this before, but he's helping them to understand that heaven has touched earth. You've seen the Father as you've seen me. That if you, when you've heard my words, you've heard the Father speak. When you've seen my actions, you've seen the Father's hands working. So he's, you know, Jesus is just assuring them again, the Father and I are one. And then in verse 10, he says, the, Jesus said, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in, dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. So one of the things that Jesus says, and this was you know, when we looked at the, the purpose of John uh, that, that's given in, in the book of John, in John 20, verses 30 and 31, you know, J- John has told us that these signs, this stuff was, was told to you, and Jesus did many other things, but these things are shared that you would believe, that you would believe that the works of God would be seen and that you would believe in him, and by believing, you may have life in his name. So there's this huge connection between works and belief. Now we don't, again, we, we always wanna make sure that whenever we talk about works, we wanna make sure that we say this, that we're not working for salvation. We cannot earn salvation. But we do work because we are saved. We were created to have this new life. We were created to be the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The works are an outflow. As I believe, works flow from my life. As work flow, works flow from my life, people can see and believe. And that's what Jesus moves to here in these last three verses. Jesus provides his power for this hour. And I specifically said it that way partially because I was looking for another H, okay, because it seemed like, okay, I'm sorry. Some people understand the struggles of a teacher, okay? <laughs> we want things that stick, but I don't know that that H is gonna stick the way I hope. But, but, it's, but power for this hour is what we need, is that Jesus is saying, like right here, right now, I'm here for you and you're called to be here for me. That the works that you do will point to me. You know, back in, in, earlier, in, in the earlier part of Matthew, Jesus said again that, that, that you're, you're a light, you shine. But that your works or what? Are to declare my glory that, that people will see your good works and glorify my name that God is desiring to work in and through us in these powerful ways to allow in our lives, in your life, think about that, in your life for heaven to touch earth. In your life. And that through your life, earth can touch heaven. So Jesus says, I mean, some very difficult words here, I'll tell you this. So we've often pointed to the truly, truly statements that everything Jesus says is true and this like, Super, super, super attentive. Be listening to what he says. Everything he says is true, but he's saying truly, truly for a reason that we really need to grasp this truth. And it's a, this passage, it's difficult and often a controversial passage. And I've been wrestling with this. Unfortunately, we're about out of time, so let's move on. 
Now, I don't want to avoid this passage. Yeah, there can be a lot of interpretations, and I believe that there have been abuses and there have been neglects. There have been all kinds of ways that these three verses have been used. And what I share with you, I've, I've prayed about and I've read and, and I felt like God's brought illumination. But here's the bottom line. I don't have this all figured out. I want to share, you, share with you the truth that I believe that God has been speaking to me about this. And I want you to weigh it out. But we want to walk through this and hear what Jesus is saying to us. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me. So that's been one of the challenges of this passage. It's not saying some that believe in me. He's saying whoever believes in me. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now here's where we have some challenges. We've read some of the works that Jesus has done. Water into wine. Feeding 5,000 with just a few fish and loaves. We know that he walked on water. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He did all these things. And he's saying, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. I struggle with that. This room and those that are watching online, many of us, maybe most of us, are believers in Christ. We are the whoever believes. How many have walked on water? I've prayed for my food, but I've never seen it multiply. How many have raised the dead? Now, how many have God used to pray for somebody and sick or healed? We would have quite a few that would respond to that. Yes, you have experienced that. But he's saying, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he's used other whoever statements. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of water. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet will he live. But he's saying that that I'm describing normal Christianity. Jesus is saying that I am telling you, this is what being a Christian is. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me will do the works that, that I've done. In Mark 16, Jesus says when he sends the disciples out that these things, these signs will accompany them. And he talks about amazing things. But then also as we receive teaching later in the New Testament, we're told this, that certain people are given, the, given the, the ability to work miracles. Do all work miracles, the question? And, and as Paul says that, he's saying, he's asking that question with the understanding that we're gonna say no, no, not everybody works miracles. So God has called us uniquely, but here's the works that Jesus did. Jesus said what he heard the Father saying to him, and he did what the Father told him to do. These are the works of Jesus that point to the Father. This is not to minimize or discredit or, or say that, that miraculous works aren't for today. They are for today. We see it, we experience it. We know that God desires to do great works that will draw attention to the Father. But the reality is the works that Jesus did was this. It's walking in obedience to the will of the Father for his life. 
that God is calling me to hear his voice. And, and I've been praying that I would hear his voice, hear the words that he's giving me and share them with you. He's calling me to see what he is doing and do it with him. Jesus is saying that, that we are called to live like him, to do the works that he did. His works were according to the Father's direction. That is not to minimize, believe me. I believe that, that God desires to pour out his power in a way that will bring miracles. But you, that, yeah, I want you to see something else. But Jesus says even greater works. Okay, I'm wrestling with the works, right? I'm wrestling with this, that, that, uh, that when he said, what, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So what is the greater works? Again, lots of interpretations. There can be even debates over this. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just, I'll share with you what I really believe God is speaking to, to us in this. How can there be greater works than raising a dead person? How can there be greater works than multiplying food and healing the sick? I think there is one greater work and it's eternal salvation. Because at this point, Jesus had not yet given his life as the ransom. He had not yet returned to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit as he had promised. But right now, we are living in the time where Jesus has already died died for sin. He, at this moment, he had not yet. It was close. But Jesus has already died for sin. He has already paid the price for the sin of mankind. He has already risen from the dead and conquered sin, death, and the grave. He has already returned to the Father. He has already sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us and empower us. And through our lives, God can bring the gospel message in a way that hearts are convicted and eternities are transformed. Jesus had spoken forgiveness of sins over individuals, but yet that finished work of the cross had not yet happened. We have the opportunity to present the gospel that will bring change to a life for eternity because even a raised person from the dead will die again. Even a sick person will at some point die apart from the rapture. But yet eternity, salvation is for eternity. And God is desiring for us to be yielded to him and just living our lives as he has created us to live that his glory would flow through us, that his salvation would be offered through us. Greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And I'm gonna just touch on this very quickly because it really only takes a quick touch. And Jesus said this, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And a mistake that can happen with this passage is that we can take that and, and make this declaration in the name of Jesus and then follow it with whatever we want. And I want to tell you, God is not a magic lamp. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying use the name Jesus and rub the lamp and wish for whatever you want. When he's saying pray these things, ask these things, declare these things in the name of Jesus, it is this. It is praying in accordance with the will of God, with the heart of God, with the desire of God for the glory of God. That when we are in alignment with him, and that's what prayer is, it's bringing us into alignment so that we know that we are moving forward in the way that God is desiring. And you know, we can try and figure out the will of God, but honestly, I can't figure it out, but the Holy Spirit can reveal it to me. 
God's ways are higher than our ways. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, when we ask in the name of Jesus, we are asking according to the character, the nature, the person, the will, the desire of Jesus. John Piper describes in my name in this way. In my name, that is for my fame, this is Jesus, that is, that is for my fame and not yours. Because of my divine worth and, and my infinite payment on the cross and according to my sovereign wisdom, put every request through that filter. My fame, my worth, my purchase, my wisdom, and every prayer will be answered. You will have everything you need to do the works that I do and even the greater works. Folks, this is not diminishing Jesus' statement. This is giving, leading us into power to walk in his way. Because what he does in his name is so much greater than what I can desire, so much greater than what I can comprehend. So what Jesus has provision, Jesus as our provision, what he provides is this. He provides for us a home in eternity. Let's live with our hearts set on that eternal home. He provides himself as the way. Let's receive him in greater and greater ways and trust him to lead us to that eternal home. And he provides his power, his power for right here, right now in this hour. Would you receive his provision today? As he has loved you, he says, now love others. As he has loved you, now respond in love to him. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.